What's going on, everybody? It is September 15th, and it's a Tuesday, which means that it's time for a new episode of Paul's Points. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Paul Fritchner. And as I always start the show, if you haven't done so yet, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And please, while you're there, leave a rating and a review if you can, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts. I've seen a lot of ratings and reviews already, and I really appreciate that. It helps me know what you all like, what you want to hear more of, and thank you to everybody that's left a rating and a review already. The show's gotten off to a great start. Can't wait to see where it goes. Tuesdays are going to be the release days, Tuesday afternoons from here on out. I've already built the schedule for the show with interviews and topics all the way out until almost New Year's. So we are rocking and rolling here on Paul's Points for the next four months, pretty much. Everything's all set. And let me tell you, the next two to three to four weeks, depending on how some of these interviews shake out and where I slot them in, they're all scheduled already, and the next few weeks are going to be a lot of fun here on Pulse Points, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Well, before I get into today's interview, which was maybe one of the best interviews that I've done and that will come on to this show with my broadcast partner in Florence, uh, Aaron Brody, before I get into that interview, there's a few things that i got to talk about, and the first thing was maybe my best prediction of all time. If you follow me on Twitter, you probably know what I'm talking about. But at the Battle of the Bourbon Trail with the Florence Yalls, every Wednesday in Florence, they've played a doubleheader this summer. The week before last, so two weeks ago now, um, Wednesday's doubleheader, both games went about three hours. The second game ended around 11 o'clock, if I remember right. And the week before that, so three weeks ago, the last game ended at 8.56, if I remember right. So two weeks ago was just a marathon. So last week, right before the start of game one, which started at 4.35, we were talking in the press box and saying, oh, I wonder what time tonight's game is. wonder what time this game's going to end. I wonder how long tonight's going to go. And I said, I am going to say that the last pitch of game two is thrown at 9.48 p.m. Game one goes by. It was pretty quick. Game two starts. It's a close game. It's about 9-10. And granted, they're both seven-inning doubleheaders, so you got to keep that in mind. And it's the bottom of the seventh of game two. It's about 9-40. And I look over at Aaron, and I'm thinking, hmm, well, we're close here. If you get a, a single, then maybe take a couple of pitches, foul a couple pitches off. You might be pushing it close here to 9-48. And wouldn't you know, 9.46, 9.47, then a pitch was thrown at 9.48, and I'm watching the second hand of the clock go by, and I'm looking around, and Aaron's looking, and Aaron has the play-by-play -play for the inning, so I'm letting him do his job. And then all of a sudden, I look at the second hand, and I say, all right, this is the last pitch, 9.48. And wouldn't you know, a walk-off single right back up the middle, Won the game, ended the game. It was 9:48. We all got a great laugh about that in the press box, and maybe my best prediction of all time. You know, they say go buy a lottery ticket. I don't even know if you can top that. It's, that's tough. About five hours ahead of time to get the exact minute right at the end of the game. So pat on the back, Paul. So that's it with that. But something else I got to touch on. 
last week's episode, I was talking about the coronavirus and sports broadcasting and how those two things have intersected, how the sports broadcasting industry is changing. If you haven't listened yet, and go back and listen uh, to last week's episode. But one of the things I talked about in the episode was how a lot of uh, networks now are getting into calling games in a remote setting. So you can call a football game from a studio in Connecticut uh, for ESPN or wherever. Like for Fox, there was a great article about Joe Davis having to do a football game and a uh, I think he did a Dodger game. I know he did a baseball game. I'm assuming it was the Dodgers. Um, that he did a football game and a baseball game in the same day. And how he was able to handle that. And when you look at that and you say, okay, that's what broadcasting out of a studio allows you to do. But you got to be at a certain level to be able to broadcast out of a studio. Well, not so fast. On Friday night last week for my first high school football game of the season, it was an away game. And the opposing team was not allowing non-essential personnel into the stadium and into the facility. What that meant was pretty much nobody except the team, the medical staff, was allowed to be there um, from our team. A.K.A. we have to call the game from our school. So we get to the school and we figure out, okay, let's go into the STEM lab and let's call the game off a big 4K monitor. And myself and my color broadcaster sat there. We pulled up the YouTube stream because the uh, the other school that we were playing, they were streaming the game on YouTube. And I sat there and I underlaid some crowd noise. And the best crowd noise I could find was just, it had to have been an NFL game or something because it was just an underlaid professional sporting environment crowd so it was a little different from a high school game but I figured that any crowd noise underneath would be better than nothing into talking like it was in a podcast gotta add a little excitement to the broadcast so I put some crowd noise underneath tried to do the best I could and I thought it turned out all right it was a close game though and that was the one takeaway that I had that I made the comment about afterwards was it was a 21 to 14 game and the team I was broadcasting for was winning and the other team had the ball. They recovered an onside kick, and there was about 28 seconds left. The stream did not have the score or the clock on it. So my color commentator's parents, because his brother is on the team, his parents were at the game. The players were allowed two tickets for parents to go to the games. And the his parents were texting us how much time was left in the game. Folks, it was a total full team effort to get this done on Friday night. But when I was calling the game with about 28 seconds left, as best as we could tell, it was fourth and 10. And the other team was down by a touchdown, having just recovered an onside kick, which means that the game is riding on this play. And I found myself having to really inject a lot of energy and enthusiasm into the call because without the crowd and without the teams there and without being able to feed off the energy, I was almost lulled into calling the play like it was a second and five with three minutes left in the second quarter on a run play to the right. I felt myself really having to get up for the play. And that was my biggest takeaway. And granted, it was my first time doing a remote broadcast. But you definitely lost a lot of luster not being at the facility, not getting that feel and that emotion from the crowd on 
a game that that team hadn't beat the team I was broadcasting for since 2007. This this is a game that meant a lot. It was a rivalry game. It meant game that meant a lot, and a fourth down play to really determine the game. And I felt myself, like I said, just having to inject a lot of that energy in and do my best to broadcast it like I was there. So that was my biggest takeaway from that. Other news and notes around football. It was week one of the NFL. My Bengals, just a tough loss. Just a tough, tough loss. Now, there are a couple of ways you can look at it. You can look at the Chargers, who had the ball twice with goal-to-go situations and settled for field goals, and you could say, well, if they scored touchdowns there, it would have been more of a blowout. Or you can look at the Bengals and say, if the offensive pass interference hadn't been a flag, score a go-ahead touchdown with seven seconds left, was it offensive pass interference? I don't know. Some people say yes, some people say no, but it's over and done with. And Randy Bullock misses a chip shot of a field goal to tie the game. And granted, the Bengals would have had to win the game in overtime. It's not like it was tied. That would have won the game, and then they ended up losing the game. Bengals still would have had to win the game in overtime. But you just felt like with the momentum and the way the defense was playing and the way Joe Burrow drove down the field in the last two minutes, and he wasn't playing like a rookie for the most part, he did have that one bad shovel pass interception that he acknowledged after the game he shouldn't have made probably should have thrown that away or just tuck it and run whatever but just a tough tough way against a struggling LA team to lose week one but so be it get the Browns again on Thursday night and a chance to pick up the first win I think the Browns are better than the Chargers but you know it's the Browns you're going up to Cleveland We'll see what happens. That's week one of the NFL from the Bengals' standpoint. And then Aaron Brody's team, the Dallas Cowboys, got an offensive pass interference penalty called against them late in the Sunday night game. Cost them week one, potentially. Just some tough, tough ways to lose the first game of the season. The last bit of news and notes I have for you. Back when the Kentucky Derby happened a couple of Saturdays ago, I was broadcasting a game with Aaron, and with Florence being in Kentucky, they stopped the game so that fans and the players could watch the race on the Jumbotron, and I called the race on the broadcast. Now, it was tough to see because even with binoculars, I couldn't see NBC's standings in the bottom left corner, and the audio broadcast was delayed about 10 seconds, so I couldn't really hear who was winning, who was in second place, but it was a close finish down to the wire. I did my best, could have done a lot better, admittedly, but room to grow. And I tweeted a screenshot the next day of me looking through the binoculars and Aaron kind of laughing about it. And I tweeted it and I tagged Larry Colmus, who is the broadcaster for the Kentucky Derby. And he responded back. We started tweeting back and forth at each other. And the long and the short of it is that Larry will probably be a podcast guest here in about three weeks. And really looking forward to that one. We talk back and forth a little bit, and he should be on the podcast to talk about broadcasting horse racing and a couple other things in about three weeks. So we have that to look forward to as well. Now let's get into this interview today with Aaron Brody. 
Again, my broadcast partner with the Florence Yalls. We recorded this interview during batting practice in a suite before a game last week. So if you hear any background noise or any background music, it's because batting practice was going on and the music gets played real loud over the speakers. One thing that Aaron mentioned that we kind of glossed over that I thought was something that stood out was when Aaron was talking about his typical day down in Lubbock, Texas, a few minutes into the interview. He was talking about all the things that he would do during the day from a broadcast perspective and also from having to work another job to be able to pay the bills. And if you really listen to his day, what he did in the morning with his radio shift and going straight from his radio shift to working at a t-shirt shop to pay the bills, and then going from the t-shirt shop to calling a game doing play-by-play at night, you're looking at potentially like an 18-hour workday every day for a long time. Granted, maybe there's days when there's not a game that you're not working those games at night, but still, if there's a game at night, you're working the morning radio shift, going straight to your t-shirt job, then going straight from there to calling a game at night. It is just one thing after another, and it just really illustrates what guys in this industry do to be able to keep this dream alive. And he talked about that a lot, what he's done so far in his career and his perseverance, even when times have gotten tough, to stay in the business and stay in the industry. Made a lot of really great points about that, and I'm excited for you all to hear it. This interview turned out very, very well, really happy about it, and I think you all will enjoy it very much. So after this break, here he is, my broadcast partner with the Florence Yalls, Aaron Brody. My guest today for this episode of Paul's Points is none other than my broadcast partner here at the Florence Yalls. Used to be the Florence Freedom. His name's Aaron Brody. He's been around for a long time in the broadcasting game. You've been through Lubbock, Texas. You've been to North Carolina. You've made your way up here. You're from Cincinnati, so this is sort of home for you, but to get things started, Aaron, first of all, thanks for coming on. And, and second of all, I want to hear where you've come in your career, how you got here to Florence, the routes that you've taken, and some of the things you've learned along the way. So take us through back to when you started broadcasting out of college, how you knew this is what you wanted to do, and how you got here to Florence. I will do that. And first of all, it's an honor to be on. <laughs> I appreciate it. I've been a fan from afar on some of the more big-time interviews that you've done. You do a great job, so I'm honored to be deemed worthy to be on Paul's points today. But, man, I know we're looking at trying to keep this to a half hour, so I'll try to be brief. But, man, my road has been a long one. I'm 29 years old, so it's not as though I've been in the game for 50 years. But you learn pretty quickly in broadcasting that if you're going to follow this for a career, you're going to move around. Years are going to feel a little bit longer. You're going to grind. It's going to be a lot of long-hour days and it seems to age you pretty quickly. So even though I've been in this since 2015, uh, make this year five, it feels like I've been through it a lot longer. Um, But yeah, as you put it, uh, kind of the quick snapshot of of how I got into the industry, I really kind of started and discovered my passion for broadcasting. When I was in college at Indiana Tech, I uh, was a baseball player for the Warriors there in Fort Wayne for my first three years of college. And then Honestly, in year four, um, I just made the decision for my career to step aside. I wasn't going to be an affiliated player. There was going to be an end at the end of that senior season for my baseball playing career. So I wanted to focus on something that I could do at Indiana Tech that would prepare me to 
embark on my journey as an adult in this world. And I always knew I wanted to be around sports. I wanted to be uh, around the game, whether it was baseball, football, basketball. And I knew I was pretty good at broadcasting in terms of my buddies and doing things with them growing up. My family super critical of broadcast that we watch. It's just kind of always been in the blood. So I wanted to give it a try. And as a senior, I was able to be the voice of the baseball team, did volleyball, did some soccer, which I wouldn't recommend ever choosing me to do again, but uh, learned a lot. And most importantly, learned that this is what I want to do. So after I graduated from Indiana Tech, I had a sports management degree that wasn't going to open many doors for me in broadcasting. So I came back to Cincinnati, went to the Ohio Center for Broadcasting. It's a one-and-done program. And with that certification, I was, at least in my mind, a little bit more ready to, to earn an opportunity as an entry-level something somewhere in radio. And that first call for me was in Lubbock, Texas. Um, Town Square Media has a five-station radio cluster out in West Texas, and my brother was already living there. He got his first opportunity in broadcasting in Lubbock as well. So that made it seem meant to be, uh, and, and certainly I got there at a very, very fun and vibrant time in the sports there in Lubbock. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was the quarterback at Texas Tech. I was getting to cover him uh, for 1340 The Fan, the sports station. I was a co-host of Countdown to kick off on that station, so I was always at the Texas Tech games. And it's Patrick Mahomes playing quarterback. I mean, you talk about, you know, seeing the face of the NFL every day uh, for a year and a half when I was in Lubbock and, and not really knowing what you were looking at, knowing he was really good. But, man, it was special. Uh, that was about the time Chris Beard signed on at Texas Tech to coach the basketball team as well, and they're in a national championship a couple of years later. Um, it was one of those moments that you hear about in broadcasting where – you just find yourself in the right spot at the right time sometimes. And that's certainly kind of what was going on there. But I was, I was a jack of all trades. Uh, I did host the countdown to kickoff show to give me some hosting. I was a fill-in host for the morning show on 1340 Sportsline. Um, and that was a blast. I loved doing it. But the meat and potatoes of what I was doing at Town Square Media was 5 a.m. news and sports shifts, um, doing the, the news and sports update anchoring. So that's kind of what got me there. It was a $10 an hour situation that I moved across the country for. Um, and just realizing that I was Sounds gonna... about right in this industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, the highest paying job I've had in, in the industry. Um, but no, so it, you know, it was a lot of fun and I knew I was going down there to say yes to every opportunity I would get. I ultimately ended up being the voice of the Idaloo Wildcats, a high school in the area doing their basketball and football. So I was able to supplement income that way. And then I had a third job pressing T-shirts at Cardinals uh, Sports Apparel Place that I was going to after my news and sports shifts ended at 11 a.m. I would work 12 to 5 every day printing T-shirts before going to do play-by-play, -play, usually at 6 or 6.15 at night. That's one of the things that I really find interesting interviewing people in the broadcasting industry is what the side job is mm -hmm. that you work to make it work while you're not earning a lot of money trying to, quote-unquote, live the dream as a broadcast <laughs> you know like last off season i was working as a server up at top golf and you're just doing what you can to make ends meet mm -hmm. while you're also making minimum wage hopefully right as a broadcaster yeah no so you're I, pressing t-shirts i'm pressing t-shirts and i have served as well uh i'm a i'm a b-dub server uh in the off season uh, at least i have been the last couple of seasons so um you're always doing something else you're always having to kind of bridge the gap income wise doing something and that's what I was doing in Lubbock I was printing t-shirts kind of a factory feel uh, at Cardinal Sports Apparel uh, there in, in the hub city so it was a lot of fun but I was tired 
you know, and after a year and a half of doing that, I did have enough hosting under my belt, whether it was countdown to kickoff or, or the morning show, kind of filling in for Steve Dale, who I'm internally indebted to for, for choosing me to be his fill-in host. He could have, you know, went through a number of other people, but he gave me my first shot and kind of let me run with that job anytime he wasn't in the office. So I felt like I had put together a pretty good demo reel that at least showed what I could do. Um, and a year and a half into being in Lubbock, Texas, you know, I, I started the merry-go-round. You know, you talk about you're always trying to climb markets, and I was ready to kind of take a look at that. And I was able to get an opportunity on the only uh, live local sports station in Fayetteville, North Carolina, as a Monday through Friday afternoon drive host on an ESPN affiliate they had there. I was going to be the host of the cage. Uh, starting in August of 2016. It, Did you get to name that show, or was that I didn't get to name the show. Uh, I think they actually decided on host last for everything that they had built. You know, the, the branding was Most already done. Most important part of the show. We'll just figure that out later. <laughs> yeah. Future us problem. Yes, exactly. But got that opportunity, and, man, I was sky high. I was 25 years old at the time. I, I was hosting on an ESPN affiliate, uh, cracking the top 100 in the markets, and felt like I was really – on my way and Fayetteville too you have a lot of good sports teams around in that area too to right cover. the Astros were about to move uh, their double a team out in Fayetteville they were building that stadium when I was there I was actually the person that broke that new story to the community um, another situation where it's kind of like you're here at a really cool time uh, but when I mean, you talk about having fans of all sorts of teams which to me that actually made it a better job um, because as much as I do follow sports and follow all the different conferences and college and the landscape of everything, to me, I was attracted by the idea of getting to host more of a national show in a local market. And the reason I was able to do that and get the blessing of my superiors to do that was because Fort Bragg is basically the lifeblood of Fayetteville, North Carolina. And at Fort Bragg, you've got soldiers from all walks of life from various states, various communities, fans of different teams, and they don't want it to be forgotten about when it's football season and they're, you know, a Dallas Cowboys fan, for instance. You knew I would use them off the top of my head. So I was able to kind of get – Well, we're only eight minutes and 23 seconds, (laughs) and it took a little longer than I thought it was going to. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I kind of got the okay that since Fort Bragg was in our listenership and really the lifeblood of the community that I would be able to kind of – basically do my own national sports show I didn't have to focus so much on the local teams and obviously you're still focusing some you know on Fridays high school football you know we would have the coaches come on I had interviews with all the coaches in the schools in the area a Friday staple and you know I, I would still cover all the the regional topics but I would get to do a little bit more national stuff than I might have been able to do in other markets so I was thrilled I was over the moon to have that opportunity and unfortunately it was very short-lived uh, i moved down there in august and i believe and i could be off on this but i believe in october maybe even september of that year hurricane matthew i think it was right around the beginning of september yeah Mid- my, beginning to middle of it september. was the fall it, it was a few months after i got down there and hurricane matthew blows in and from having all these moments that felt like i really was making it and on my way this was my first real taste of reality in small market radio. Uh, it flooded our tower site. We were off the air. Um, and at a certain point, you become expendable. If you can't go on the air and do your show, and there's going to be fees and all sorts of maintenance required just to get your, your tower site back up and running, um, you might not have the opportunity for the radio station to exist as it formerly did. 
after something like that. And unfortunately, that was a decision that was made by the owners of the radio station uh, at that time that they were just going to pull the plug on everything. We were still pretty new into it, but I had just locked up a big title sponsor. I was going to start doing live reads on the show. I had finally felt like I had built somewhat of a, of a schedule where you kind of knew what you were going to get on the show Monday through Friday. I mean, when I started out, man, I, I was green and I didn't know exactly what I was doing and you're faking it till you make it. And every show was very different. And Mondays didn't mean you did these staple segments. It was just kind of, what can I talk about today? And it, it wasn't the best, but it started to get there. I started to have my benchmark segments that I was doing every day. As I mentioned, Nelson and Nelson Chiropractic, I remember in Fayetteville, had stepped up to the plate in a big way to be my title sponsor of the show. And it felt like we were really, we were kind of like friends. You know, you hear about the sitcom Friends. It ends up being one of the best shows, you know, in network television history. And they about got canceled a couple of times early. And I was just thinking, if I can weather this Hurricane Matthew, you know, I think we're about to take off. But the opportunity wasn't there for me. Uh, the, the plug was pulled. Me and, and several others lost our jobs at that radio station uh, that fall. And, you know, that's kind of the harsh reality of radio is you felt like you were doing it. You were you were there. And now all of a sudden it's where do you go next? Somebody else has to take a shot on you. And where is it going to be in the country? What kind of job is it? What are you ready for? And And you kind of have to get back to the drawing board. And I felt blessed that you know, the opportunity presented itself, even as a number two, as an intern, uh, essentially the glory position, you're not getting paid, but the number two broadcasting position opened up here in Florence. And as you mentioned, being from Cincinnati, I had family here, you know, you kind of get back to your center. I was able to, to come back home, so to speak, during, you know, the biggest tribulation of my career to that point. And and kind of get refocused and, and re-energized, and I had a blast. Uh, it was 2017, the Florence Freedom ended up being the top team in the West Division of the Frontier League that year. They were 61-35. and 35. It was a banner season, the best in franchise history, and I worked every day under Spencer Smith, who was a number one, that would only be here one year. He won and done the Freedom, uh, getting an opportunity to be the number two with the AA affiliate in Trenton, New Jersey, uh, AA affiliate of the Yankees. So... You know, he moves on after 2017. We have this great year. He recommends me for the job, and, and ultimately I got it. And 2020 would have been my third season and the number one chair here in Florence, and it's certainly been a lot of fun. But to, to get back to kind of what you were asking about, man, and quickly, because I know you're probably wanting to take this conversation in a new direction, but, you know, you learn a lot. And I think the biggest thing that you learn early in your radio career is how much you want it because you're going to be tested. There's going to be adversity. There's going to be hurricanes. Uh, there's going to be opportunities that you thought you had that all of a sudden are gone in the blink of an eye, and you've got to be able to understand that, come to peace with that, and ultimately have enough passion to want to move forward. And that, that can be an obstacle. It's going to challenge everybody, but you discover how, how bad you want it, and that's kind of what I've learned throughout this is I've discovered how bad I want it. Yeah, and, and there's a few things that you mentioned that I want to get back to uh, from what you had just talked about. The first thing is, quickly – did you ever talk to Patrick Mahomes? I did. I got to interview Pat during Big 12 Media Day in 2015. I got to interview him. And was it Cliff a solo Kingsbury. interview or was it a No, scrum? so I, I, I was in the mix, uh, but our program director, Rob Snyder, was in on the discussion, as was Steve Dale, who was the host of you know the morning show on 1340 The Fan Sports Line. So I was in the room. I got to ask a couple of questions. I got to shake his hand. But he was actually, that was preseason, and he was actually in a quarterback battle with Davis Webb, 
who was the incumbent starter coming back to Tech that year. So it uh, wasn't even at that point guaranteed that Patrick was going to be starting. And ultimately, he won that job and ran with it. But It's really crazy to think about that in sports and how guys' careers pan out. And sometimes it's a sliding doors moment of, well, what happens if Mahomes doesn't play that well in the preseason? And, mm-hmm. you know, Davis gets the starting job. And then now Mahomes, one of the highest paid athletes of all time much less the highest paid football player right but still crazy yeah. to think and, about and cliff kingsbury sitting there you know he ends up going to the cardinals and he drafts kyler murray and all of a sudden that cardinals team's kind of in the in the spotlight a little bit and it, it was crazy because in 2015 you know i was sitting in the same room with both those guys they were texas tech red raiders and and obviously now they're they're a lot bigger and that's one of the things before i ask the next question that's one of the things that i sometimes have to realize when I'm doing this or when I work Xavier games and I'm walking outside my apartment and Bill Raftery's standing there because he's going to Starbucks <laughs> that's you know like right underneath my apartment and you see these guys that are around especially in college Xavier I was lucky enough to see a lot of these guys but sometimes when you're working in it or when I'm doing interviews with this podcast or I'm talking to guys that are broadcasting at the top level or, or whatever it may be and you're talking about talking to Mahomes or, or to Kingsbury and those guys we work in the business, so a lot of times we don't really think about it or realize it, but there are definitely times when I have to stand back and say, if there was a day when I didn't work in sports anymore and I was just working a regular job, and you think back and you think, man, I really talked to a lot of guys that ended up doing a lot of big things in the sporting world, and Kingsbury and Mahomes are definitely examples of that. Yeah, and, and it was so much fun because I, I got to interview them more personally. They were sitting in the same suite with me, Rob Snyder, and Steve Dales I told you about on Big 12 Media Day. But I also always got to be um, in, the, in the media room when they would address the media after games as well. Uh, at games played at Jones AT&T Stadium. So I got to always see them come in after games, you know, give their spiel at the podium. And, and Patrick just, man, even then, he just had a presence to him. You know, he walked in the room. He wasn't the biggest guy. It wasn't the presence because he's 6'8", and – 300 pounds, you know, of chiseled muscle. I mean, he's, he looks like he was about 5'11". He had the same kind of haircut that he's got today. That's now the, the patented Mahomes look. Um, he talked a little bit like Kermit the Frog, but <laughs> he had a presence. And you, he was in control. The, the team obviously rallied around him. And you just felt like even then, uh, and the numbers were, were certainly there, but you, you did kind of get the feeling that this guy could be really special. He falls in the right system, and, and he certainly has in Kansas City. Yeah. Um, and then from your career – you when you started you said you went to the Ohio Broadcasting School to yeah. get your certification I see uh, a big number of guys that have done that um, big number of broadcasters in this industry that maybe they go to college and they don't like you said you got a sports management degree I got a sport management degree it's the same kind of thing where that doesn't really qualify you for right. a broadcasting job and you went and got that certification what uh, what were some of the things that you learned in that school? What did they teach you? How valuable do you think that was now where you are at this point looking back on getting that? Uh, it's a great question, and I think it really was extremely valuable. I mean, yeah, it's not Ohio University, you know, in the script school of journalism heralded, but you learn the nuts and bolts of what it's going to take to be successful. And ultimately, it's, it's a showcase, too, of your own abilities that you walk in the door with on day one and, and either have or don't. But it taught me how to, to edit, which I think is one of the biggest things. Um, I was always going to be comfortable in front of the camera, so that was not something that that school helped me kind of come to terms with or spread my wings with. I, I went to that school knowing that I wanted to be on-air talent, but you've got to have more tools in the shed than that to get a job and an opportunity in, in this 
in this world. Um, so editing was a big one, video and audio. To be able to put together a demo reel, you got to be able to do stuff like that. And before I ever stepped foot at the Ohio Center for Broadcasting, I wouldn't have known what to even download to, to build an, uh, a demo reel, how to, to chop the audio. I probably have been trying to find somebody I could pay to do it for me. But no, I mean, it, it, it teaches you all the tools uh, to be successful. They give you very rewarding challenges along the way. You know, you have to host a game show and you have to, you know, do a successful newscast with a TriCaster and and it's a 30-minute newscast with stories that you create. You know, it teaches you how to do a backpack story um, if you're going to be in, in front of a camera for a local news station. So it was just kind of a, a intense one year on every different facet, from the multimedia to TV to radio and what goes on behind the scenes so that when you do get the opportunity uh, to get a chance in the industry somewhere, you're going to go there knowing a little bit about what that world's like and, and have enough at your disposal to feel dangerous. So you come out of that and you have the job in Lubbock where it's mainly a talk show job and same with North Carolina, but you have some play-by-play -play mixed in there mm -hmm. in, in Lubbock. When you came out of college and you got that certification and you were really wanting to start your career, did you have the idea that you wanted to be more of a talk show host or play-by-play? -play? You know, obviously now you've done few years of both so when you started what was your objective my objective starting out was to be the next Mike Greenberg I wanted to be the next host of a morning show a sports morning show on ESPN um, that was kind of the dream for me and it wasn't until Hurricane Matthew and everything happened in Fayetteville North Carolina that I soured a little bit on that way of life and more so than souring on it I missed being at the ballpark. I missed being involved with a team. You know, so much of hosting starting out, it's pretty late in the game when you get to have a partner on the air. And so much of being a radio host is you. You are everything. You're the producer. You're the board op. You're coming up with the guests that you're going to interview. You're coming up with the outline for the show. It's you, 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 you. Whereas broadcasting in a team environment like this, you feel like you're part of a team. And I really did miss that aspect. And obviously being at the ballpark too every day, covering players and going on the air at night, I was getting to do that in Lubbock and I loved it. I think part of, of why I, I wanted to pursue studio first was just because it felt like a safer bet for a full-time position. Uh, whereas play-by-play, -play, it always kind of seems like until you really get a big breakthrough of an opportunity, you're always doing other things in the industry. And one of those other things might even be hosting during the afternoon drive before doing games at night. So the studio side just seemed like a safer bet for full time. It obviously seemed like a lot of fun, and that was the original goal. But it, it was after North Carolina that I really missed everything else that you know broadcasting play by play brings to the table. And the biggest thing in that is the team environment and being part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah, I've had people ask me before because when I was growing up, everybody always said, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I always said, "I wanted to work in sports." And my classic answer was, "I always wanted to be." A sports center anchor and then as I got older and got into high school and college I realized that sports center will probably exist to a certain extent the highlight show will certainly exist to some sort of an extent for a while but with Twitter now Facebook Instagram and the ability to just watch 30 45 second highlights needing to sit down for an hour and watch a sports center show isn't really in the fabric of sports culture as it was when you and I were growing up you know, when we're mm -hmm. eight, nine years old, sitting down there on a Saturday morning watching Sports Center, 
And that was when I mentally made the transition to saying, okay, maybe that won't always exist in its current format, or especially like when I'm 35 and maybe making it at that point and starting to think about making that sort of a jump. But a game is always going to need a broadcaster, whether it's on location or remote, as we've seen with coronavirus, a lot of teams now are going remote. And that's something I talked about on uh, this past week's episode of the podcast. And you've seen some of that happen here with coronavirus and the changes, but you're always going to need somebody to narrate the game. You're always going to need somebody to do broadcasting over a game because if I don't remember when it was, and I honestly don't remember what the network was. You may remember. I want to say it was ESPN that did it a long time ago where they did a game where they took the broadcasters off the air. There was no broadcasters. They just showed the video of the game. It was a football game. And they had somebody come on like at a commercial break every once in a while and give a little update on what was going on. But they just left the score bug and the game. And people just couldn't stand it. They were like, what are we doing here? You know, you know, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. And, and, and for as much as people may hate the broadcaster that they're listening to, <laughs> people always complain, you know, I hate this guy. I hate this guy. But mm-hmm. I always contend that as much as you hate that person, you still leave the sound on because it's entertaining. Some people get dramatic and we'll turn it off. You know? Sure. Hopefully we don't do that to our listeners here in Florence. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, you know, when you look at it from that perspective and now having done talk show and play-by-play broadcasting and you're a play-by-play broadcaster now, do you see yourself continuing on that path or do you want to get back into talk radio? I do definitely continue to enjoy what I'm doing and everything about the play-by-play. That makes me feel very strongly that I will continue to do this as long as I can. But there is a, a clear itch for me to get back in the studio. Um, can't deny that. And like I said in you know, my previous answer, I do think that there's room for both those to fill out your full-time schedule. Uh, so I, I try not to look at it as picking one over the other because I do believe that you know, unless I get to a network level and you're just having to focus on one of those things at that point, what problems do you even have anymore, um, that I'll get the chance, or hopefully I, I would like to get the chance to do both and to do the afternoon drive uh, you know, on a, on a sports talk station and, and do games at night. You know, it, it's difficult on the social life, and, you, you know, I'm lucky to feel like I have the right one picked out uh, in terms of the future Mrs. Brody. So uh, I don't have to worry about that as much, but, you know, that's a whole other tangent, the support that you have to have at home and the willingness for your partner to accept what it is you're chasing because it is difficult from from the time-consuming standpoint. But I would say that that I expect to get back in the studio at some point, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to hang up the mic and play by play. I hope I can do both. Yeah. And now your time here at Florence, uh, for those of you listening who may not know Florence, it's a independent team in the Frontier League in Northern Kentucky in Florence, Kentucky. Um, I was Aaron's partner back in 2018. I was your first number two when you That's were right. full time. Um, and I had a great time here over the summer. I, I came in and I had done two years, two or yeah, I'd done two years of summer collegiate baseball. I went to Xavier, and that was my summer going into my senior year. And, you know, I think you and I would both agree that it took me a while to really get my legs under me here in a professional environment. Um, but as the season went on and you and I got to know each other better and we got to laugh more on the air, it became a really, really fun 
experience for me. And it was a bummer. And that's just how it always works out with this thing. And, and broadcasting is when you get toward the end, it always becomes the most fun. I mean, look at how much fun you and I are having <laughs> oh, here in the man. last couple of weeks of this. Yeah. Um, but you had a great experience under Spencer Smith in your first year here when you were his number two. What did you learn under him? And then what did you try to apply when you became the number one a year later? Spencer basically showed me what it was like to be the consummate pro as a broadcaster. Uh, so much about what I had done previous to the opportunity here in Florence was me kind of figuring things out on my own and on the fly. And, you know, my brother was in the industry, but he was on the TV side and I didn't necessarily have that mentor that was in the same filth I was, so to speak, until I got here. And, and Spencer was just, I mean, he had the booming voice. Um, he looked and felt the part for a radio broadcaster and the guy was just a consummate pro. Uh, he, he showed me kind of the schedule and how it breaks down, how to, you know, what time to get to the ballpark. I mean, you hear about this with athletes talking about the guys that they kind of showed them when they were young. It was all the same stuff and what time to get here to get things done, kind of the routine uh, and how much time to, to a lot for certain things, you know, teaching me that, you know, don't sleep on the game notes. That's, that's a longer process than, than you think and you want to get here, even if it seems really early, you'll probably be happy you did that as you're closing in on first pitch and you're still finishing them up uh, that afternoon. So he, he kind of just showed me the way to, to go about my business, you know, off the mic, uh, but certainly on the mic as well. I mean, the guy was just, he was butter. He was silky smooth. You knew he was, you know, destined for bigger and brighter things. Um, and, you know, one year was all he was here, but one year was all I really needed under him. And to he feel was the like broadcaster of the year that year, right? Or was that the year Spencer before? won Broadcaster of the Year in the Frontier League, the one year he was here. I mean, he he basically accomplished everything you could hope to accomplish, minus winning the championship. The he was only here the one year. Just here the one year. Oh, I thought he was here the year before as well. No, he was he was just here in 2017. Um, and yeah, I mean, outside of winning a ring, I mean, the, and the Freedom got to the championship series, but outside of that, I mean, he 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 swept the board. Uh, broadcaster of the Year. Um, built up the listening audience you know i've always wanted to try to continue to raise the bar but that was something that he made very difficult and honestly i thank him for that because i felt like i learned from the best that 2017 summer and and i owe him a lot for where i am as a broadcaster today and and just especially in terms of how to handle yourself and how to go about your business you were seasonal with florence before this past year and then you get hired on full-time and coronavirus hits (laughs) <laughs> and you have to come on and you have to help with some of the other events that it takes to put on a minor league organization. Again, I said it's not affiliated, but it's still essentially a minor league organization here in Florence. And I think what a lot of people don't realize that aren't in the broadcasting business, and it's not a knock, I'm not expecting everybody to know the ins and outs of this kind of thing, but there is so much that goes on behind the scenes. When you get to the major league level and you're just doing the game and you're sole focus is on broadcasting that game that night and you can just concentrate on the notes and that's all you have to do is get yourself mentally prepared for that game when you're here you're asked to do everything pull tarp well we don't have a tarp here but it's a turf field but whether it's pulling tarp or getting a concession stand ready or carrying t-shirts into the team shop or whatever you experience that in a big way here this past spring you persevere through it it's tough on everybody but you get through it you get to the season, and now it's been a lot of fun over the last month and a half. What was that mental toll like for And you don't have to go into excruciating detail for it and, and relive it, but I know that's something I think that 
people might value hearing from you, Aaron, because it's something that's really relatable for a lot of people in this business. And you, you're, you're hired to broadcast. You're hired to do the game. But at the end of a 13-hour day, you then have to do the game. And right. on top of that, you're battling a global pandemic. But the reward is talking about baseball as a job. So how'd you, how were you able to balance all that? Man, it, it, it was a slog. It was difficult. Um, but, you know, ultimately I was just thankful to still have my job. Um, when you look around at the ramifications of COVID-19 this year, a lot of people, you know, they were furloughed for an extensive period of time. You know, in some cases it, it was worse. They were laid off completely. They're looking for a job amid the global pandemic. So ultimately, I, I mean, I was very fortunate to still have, you know, a place to, to work Monday through Friday. Um, so, so that was in there. Um, but in terms of what I was doing, I mean, it, it was a little bit excruciating. And it was this way for everybody in the front office because we were all so far away from what our normal jobs were. Um, you know, we had the y'all's animal farm, a petting zoo, a drive-through petting zoo, essentially. Um, obviously with the pandemic, people weren't getting out to pet the animals, but it was a drive-through zoo, exotic animals. It was right on the heels of Tiger King. So there was kind of a need for the exotic animals in people's lives. Uh, so that was a, a roaring success, but I, I essentially became a guy that would be here 12 hours a day, um, holding a temperature gun. And, you know, shooting people in the head with the gun as they walk through the gates to come to youth tournaments uh, here at the ballpark that were going on during the afternoons and, and evenings, sometimes at night. You know, the last game would, would start at 8 o'clock and, you know, you got here at 9 a.m. and you're going home at 11 p.m. and all you did was take temperatures the entire day. Um, there was a lot of that. We had a Kentucky Grill that we opened up as well that allowed people to come and eat some ballpark food and some nicer items that we came up with for the Kentucky Grill uh, allowed us to have live music on the bandstand and it was kind of an opportunity for people to go out to eat like you were no longer able to do basically anywhere uh, but we staffed that so you know you'd come in at 9 a.m. that morning do your job and then at four o'clock the grill opened until 10 so you were here hours on end and this isn't just me. This is everybody in the front office with, with the y'alls. We were all doing stuff that we never in a million years thought we would be doing to collect a paycheck. But at the end of the day, we did have our jobs, and, and that held you together. But ultimately, in, in my situation, it just comes back to what I talked about long ago. Uh, back in the first question of this thing was you find out how much you want it. And when you're going through something like this and, and the long hours and everything's taking its toll if you don't really want to make it as a broadcaster you'll quit in those moments and obviously there was you know I was looking around at other opportunities at certain points I, some of that was just coming from the fact that I wasn't sure how solid the ground was here uh, everybody had to kind of be looking out for that so you know you were looking at other opportunities some of them you know were outside of the industry so I flirted with that uh, you know this year but I still want it and you will power through anything that the weird world will put in front of you if you want it bad enough. And like I said then, like I'll say now, you'll find out how bad you want it in this industry. One way or another, there's going to be a hurricane, there's going to be a pandemic, there's going to be something that shakes your confidence, that shakes your will. And if you want it bad enough, you'll continue to come to work every day after that. And if you don't, you'll find something new. 
Well, you mentioned a few minutes ago before we started here on the podcast, and you said that um, Dennis Pelfrey is the manager for the San Jose Giants, and you were mentioning, man, it would be great to go out there to California. And I said, well, <laughs> I don't want to go out there and get hit with a hearth- an earthquake. So between a pandemic and a hurricane – yeah, that's just. I next don't know. On the maybe checklist. that's one to just like. <laughs> I've had just really a nice dream, but maybe we just let that one sit, Aaron. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> I mean, I've had really good luck at certain points and really bad luck in others. So, I, yeah, like I said, I think the earthquake's probably just next on the checklist for me. <laughs> maybe a tsunami in twenty twenty four. Who knows? Uh, I'll probably run up against it, but <laughs> hopefully, I'll I'll be able to power through that too. So a couple more questions here before we finish up batting practice. Just coming to an end here at UC Health Stadium, just about and got to get ready for a game here but before we do that a couple more things I want to ask and first thing is so we've talked about where your career is coming up to this point but now from here now this is your fourth year here in Florence third year as the lead broadcaster where do you see yourself you've touched on it a little bit but maybe some of the connections that you've made and and the things that you've done that you feel like you can set yourself up. I know STAA um, has been huge for both you and me um, and some of the connections that we've had in, in our careers. But um, what are some of the things that you feel like you can do to set yourself up to progress here from Florence? A lot of it is just trying to raise the bar from one season into the next because I do feel like if you put in the work and you have enough success at just elevating the standard wherever you're at – you're going to get noticed. You're, you're going to get an opportunity. People take notice of good work. Uh, so you've got to just continue to grind, continue to, to try to raise that bar, as I said. Um, you know, one of the big things that I was able to accomplish from 2018, my first year into 2019, to raise the bar in Florence was getting us on video. You know, you're trying to do something to push the needle a little bit farther every year. You know, you bring on the coaches with a live wireless mic coming in, you know, from a previous season where you didn't have that doing the game reports with the coaches in the Battle of the Bourbon Trail here, doing the coaches show where, you know, we're the only team in the Frontier League that has a weekly half-hour coaches show to put out on social media that brings viewership not only to what you're doing here in Florence but to the Frontier League as a whole because you're talking about the freedom or the y'alls, certainly, but you're also talking about who they're playing against, the players that are on the other side, um, and just bringing more exposure, more awareness to what we're doing here. And, you know, you don't try to focus too much on on tomorrow. I think that's another critical aspect of, of having success in broadcasting is be where your feet are. It's going to be a long road. Your will is going to be tested. And if you spend too much time thinking about how much better someone else has it or how much better it could be in the future, you're probably not doing what you need to do to have the best day that day. And not to quote Jason Garrett by any stretch, <laughs> but it's all about stacking good days on top of each other to have success in, in radio, and obviously that's, that's critical. So I try not to focus too much on all that stuff, but if you put in the work, if you build it, they will come, right? So raise the bar, raise the standard, add a new wrinkle every year. Have a partner like Paul Fritchner that has a great chemistry with you in the booth that you Don't can have fun. Don't give me too fun, much credit, come on. <laughs> that you can have fun with and laugh with that makes the games more entertaining for those listening at home, and those connections will come to you. Well, that was the last broadcasting question that I wanted to ask, but I'd be remiss, since you just mentioned it, if I were about three-ish hours here from the start of the NFL season, the Texans and the Chiefs playing tonight. So I gotta let you, I gotta let you do your thing for a minute here. You're the man. Give me, <laughs> give me the lowdown on on the big 
the big star down there. What, what are we looking at here with the Cowboys this year? Okay, so the Cowboys. I thought you were going to ask me to, to set up tonight's game, the Thursday nighter with the Chiefs and the Texans. But no, the Cowboys. Well, you can if you want to, since your friend, your best friend here, Mahomes, is playing. Yeah, my boy Patty is uh, <laughs> going to be on national TV again tonight. But no, I'll, I'll go back to your question. I love talking about the Cowboys, and I do it often. I, I really think, and I do say this about every year, but I really do think this could be the year in Dallas. Um <laughs> New head coach, that's huge. I think every year that I said it was our year leading up to this one in the Jason Garrett era, I was lying to myself, and I knew it, because head coach matters. I mean, look at Bill Belichick. The teams are going to change. The players are never going to be there one year into the next, minus the GOAT, Tom Brady. And yet, they're in the Super Bowl every year in the AFC. Like It seemed like until Patrick Mahomes came to the scene here. But coaching matters, and with the Cowboys and Jason Garrett, they didn't have that piece. They were never going to make the run. And I really think that the not-so-sexy hire of Mike McCarthy when Urban Meyer was out there and Lincoln Riley was out there could end up being exactly what this team needed to just actually bring to the forefront the potential they have on their roster. There are not many rosters—this is unbiased— there are not many rosters in the NFL more deeper and younger than the Dallas Cowboys roster. They need the right guy at the helm to get the best out of them and to actually understand what it takes to win football games in January. Mike McCarthy's been to four NFC Championship games. He's won a Super Bowl. He won his Super Bowl in Dallas. He's a great fit. He's a guy that that knows what it takes. The skins are on the wall. The guys are going to listen to him. And ultimately, I think that buying in of the head coach is the one thing that's been missing in the last 10 years with the Cowboys as they allowed Garrett to come back year after year and underachieve that won't be there to get in the way of this team in 2020. I love Dak with the chip on his shoulder, wanting to get that long-term deal. Obviously, Zeke's huge. I mean, the wide receiver core is loaded. Cooper, Gallup, you got C.D. Lamb, the flashy first-round pick out of Oklahoma. There's no reason this Cowboys team can't win 10, 11 games this year and get hot when it matters most in January. And I will fact that, that they are going to be a team playing in the postseason in January. I won't fact a Super Bowl since it hasn't happened since 1995, but I will fact they're in the postseason this year with a young team that the best is yet to come with. Well, you could just clip that like two and a half minutes there and just put it right on your resume and send it down to <laughs> Dallas and maybe somebody picks you up there. Maybe, maybe 1310 the ticket. I'm still an avid P1 of that sports radio station down there. It's one of the best in the country. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll enjoy that. <laughs> well, Aaron, thanks so much for coming on with me and taking the time to sit down here before the game. I really appreciate it. And I mentioned it last year on the air in the last game that we did when uh, I helped fill in at the end of last season and I came on and Florence was in the Frontier League Championship last year, did not win um, in the championship series, but was very close. And I mentioned in the last game, you know, I'm really appreciative of what you've done and helped me in my career. And, and this is, it's not affiliated baseball, but it's professional baseball here. And it's the first professional experience I had, especially now here out of college. And uh, you and I have had such a fun time this year in the Battle of the Bourbon Trail. So many different laughs and so many moments when you know, the Wi-Fi is cutting out in the booth and <laughs> the stream and, and the YouTube that, you know, and that's one thing real quick that I really like here that we've done this this year is the YouTube streams. And you mentioned it, that the viewers get to interact with us and comment in and we can see the parents that are listening and we know where people are listening from if they comment in and let us know. And we get to have that interaction. But you and I getting to see that and, and talk with our audience and between ourselves laugh about things on the air and have discussions and that's the kind of thing that this battle of the bourbon trail has allowed us to do really is 
maybe take a step back and look at this because it's not the actual you know grind of the frontier league where every pitch matters as much as it does it's a development this summer for these guys and for us too we're developing on the air and and it's been a ton of fun no it has paul and i thank you for the opportunity to come on your show today and talk with you you're the best number two i've ever hired here i appreciate that you're on to brighter horizons man (laughs) there's no doubt you're going to be a success in this industry as long as you want it and i just really appreciate the time thanks aaron Thanks again to Aaron for agreeing to come on and do that with me. We had a lot of fun. We have so many laughs and so many good times on the air in Florence. And I thought that translated well there to the interview. And he made a lot of really good points that I think are relatable in the broadcast industry about, like I said in the very beginning, sometimes when you get down and sometimes when you think, how much longer can I stay in this? And then when you get on the air and you realize, wow, Every day I get to go in and broadcast a game and I get to talk about sports. They say when you love your job, you never work a day in your life. And man, in this industry, when you realize that you can sit down and broadcast a game and do play-by-play and that's what you get paid to do, it really makes you think when you're deciding about getting out of it or taking an office job or getting into some other business that probably pays a whole lot better than what you're making as a sports broadcaster. And the love of the game and the love of sports and the love of broadcasting more often than not draws you back in and makes you realize that this is something you want to keep doing until you really, really can't do it anymore. And what Aaron said in this episode, I think, illustrates all of that very well. Thanks again so much for listening, everybody. Tuesdays are the days for Pulse Points, Tuesday afternoon. So look for a new episode every Tuesday. So excited for the schedule that I have coming up over the next few months, especially in the next few weeks. Some big time episodes dropping soon that I have planned. So come back soon and listen to my next few episodes. Subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review, and I'll see you next time on Pulse Points. Pulse Points.